This time loop thing. How did you get out of it? Oh, I simply boosted the circuits and broke free. You came back of your own accord? Well, I... Doctor? No. No, I'm afraid not. No, obviously the Time Lords have programmed the TARDIS always to return to Earth. It seems that I'm some kind of a galactic yo-yo. Welcome to Galactic Yo-Yo, the podcast where Doctor Who fans share their unpopular opinions of the world, and I have to do with them. I'm Molly Marsh, um, the arbiter of what is and isn't an unpopular opinion, and um, at the moment I'm in self-isolation. I've not got coronavirus, um, to my knowledge anyway, but I'm self-isolating because of um, people I've been in contact with, etc. Um, so, yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, you it's not as if you can go out and do much stuff anyway here in the UK at the moment. Um, so aside from having to ask a neighbour to do my shopping, um, life's been pretty normal. Um, I have only left the house once in the last eight or nine days, though, which is a bit weird. And that was that was purely to put the um, that's purely to put the bins out. Uh, not sure whether that's um, I'm I'm not sure whether Boris Johnson's advising that people put the bins out or not when they're in self isolation. But it felt a little bit cheeky um to text my upstairs neighbour and ask them to um put the bins out for me. Um anyway, enough bin chat. Um this week I chatted to I'm actually recording and have recorded three podcasts this week um with various people that are going to be coming to you um very soon. Um this week though I did my yearly roundup with our good friend Johnny Spandrel who I've done yearly roundups with for every year that I've been recording the podcast and it's been a fun thing. So this year we did the same thing we did, uh, we've done for the last couple of years, which is where I ask him about all of the various unpopular opinions on the podcast from across the year and he gives his verdict. We also talked about the, the year in general and the year in Doctor Who and how it's gone. And we also had an interesting discussion um, where uh, Johnny kind of uh, turned the tables on me a bit and asked me about making the podcast and um, got a little bit self-indulgent there, but um, you can just skip that bit if you don't think I'm very interesting. Um, anyway, I think that's pretty much everything. It's quite a it's quite a loosey-goosey podcast. It's not got a lot of structure, but I think that makes it all the more enjoyable. Um, next week, I am coming to you with, I, I had said, hadn't I, last year that I'd finished the weekly podcast, but because of the special having aired and everything, I'm just going to put out another episode next week, and that will be my Revolution of the Daleks review episode with Joy Piedmont, um, who is obviously a guest I've had on the podcast before, last year. Anyway, I think that's pretty much all the admin, so um, stay safe out there, guys, especially if you live in the UK where things are truly dire right now. Um, I hope you are healthy. I hope you're all getting all of the support you need. I hope things aren't too difficult for you um, at the moment. Um, anyway, without further ado, here is my conversation with Johnny Spandrel. Yes, I have a, um, I have a podcasting microphone now. Oh, fantastic. I was thinking because... of getting one of those because my setup's so clunky. But um, yeah, how is that? <laughs> 
Oh, it's good. I, I use it because my, my son likes to make terrible gameplay videos <laughs> um, from his Nintendo Switch and so, and post them on YouTube. That's um, so fantastic. How old is your son? Like nine or ten? Eight. eight. He's eight. <laughs> and uh, he just... He he just he has to be reminded all the time that he has to speak to the people. It's not enough to just say hello at the beginning, play the game for fifteen minutes, and then say goodbye. At the yeah, end. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's you've got to, you've <laughs> got to be charming and engaging. That's right. You've got to actually talk to some people. Um, but anyway, and then you know the other the other aspect of those videos is me quietly whispering in the background. Come on, wrap it up now. <laughs> Anyway, classic dad behaviour. How are you? Are you well? Mm. Yeah, I've had quite a long time off work for Christmas, so that's been um, that's been nice. I, I, although I do go back tomorrow, which is filling me with a sense of dread. It's like that last Sunday of the <sighs> summer holidays. Like you're just like, oh, I can't. <sighs> no. No, I, I get it. I'm it, there too. I go back to work tomorrow. Yeah. In fact, I, I'm even closer to, oh to God, it than yeah, you at the moment. Proper Sunday night for you. This yeah, is actually it, the last thing I do before it, going back to work tomorrow. <laughs> are you um, are you recording? I am recording on Audacity. Fantastic. Sorry, just refreshing myself. Um, <laughs> it's quite annoying that because I'm having to use an external mic for my computer now, I... Um, have nowhere to put my can. There we go. It can it can oh. live in this precarious position where it's inevitably going to be spilled. That's on my the keyboard. best one. Though. It'll it'll <laughs> happen halfway through the recording, won't Fantastic. it? Like that's just inevitable. <laughs> so I'm recording in two places. You're recording. I think we're I think we're good to go. Um, Excellent. How, how's your 2020 been, Johnny? Oh, look, it has been. It hasn't been too bad. I think. Um, you know, for so many other people, it's been much worse than it has. Uh, for me, mm. uh, there's been a lot of it hanging around in lockdown. There's been a lot of being at home, um, yeah, yeah, which is lovely, really, which is terrific. There's been a lot less travel for me, mm. uh, and it's I guess a lot less death where you are as well, right? So much less. You're, you're than, getting than like the death in the entire year that we're getting a day, which is uh, yeah, bleak. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we're in we're in a we're in a first flare-up in Sydney at the moment, um, which is causing a lot of disruption and a lot mm. of restrictions coming mm. back in. But the case numbers are so tiny compared to what's happening elsewhere in the world. Yeah. That if you know, if you look, uh, there's a slight sense of, from people looking in at us of overkill. Um, but uh, that is what it is. This is this is. But how that's it's that's go. surely how you've ended up in such a good position, right? By being really yeah. proactive, whereas yeah, Bo- I think Boris Johnson waits until it's like two weeks late to do something and then does a half-assed <laughs> version of it. So, yeah, and I think Australians have proven to be fairly compliant people. Like we've mm. got this idea of ourselves as anti-authoritarian, and and but actually <laughs> we turn out to you know mostly put our masks on and when we get on the train yeah. and that sort of thing and then stay at home when we're asked to stay at home so I'm, i mean i think we're fairly compliant here obviously there have been there's been bits of rule breaking but that's inevitable but we i mean most people have been following the rules it's just that the rules are ever changing and completely inconsistent <laughs> right right yeah well that's really tricky and i think i think here in new south wales they've certainly done a good job of that i've got to say that it's in in Victoria, which is where Melbourne is, it's been much worse during 2020 than mm. it has for the rest of the country. Mm. And they've had they were locked down for months and months and months, and it was really tough for them. 
Um, but shout they're out on to the, them. you know, yeah, shout out to them. Shout out to do. I hope you have listeners in Melbourne. You should have listeners. In Melbourne. I do have Australian listeners. I don't think I get a breakdown of of where in each country, but um, yeah, I do. Australia is like you know in the top five countries that listen listen to this. So there should be some oh, people good. inevitably. Uh, how's your twenty twenty been, Doctor Who wise though? How's your Doctor Who year been? I mean, obviously we've, Doctor Who we've had been? eleven episodes of Doctor Who air this year. No, ten. Yeah. Ten? Ten episodes, and then in a, we had an eleventh on the first day of twenty twenty one. Yes, that's right. We had all of well, all of series twelve, which I thought was you know it was a bit more consistent than the previous year, and there were there were certainly episodes I really liked in it, and. Um, mm. Uh, I you know I, th- I thought that it 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 felt like it had its own sense of what it was and who the characters are a little bit more than the previous year, um, but I'd still kind of like to take the best episodes from series eleven and the best episodes from series twelve and sort of put them into one killer season. If you know, yeah, what I, mean. I think there's like a solid eight episode season that you can make from <laughs> from those two seasons, which might sound pessimistic, but. Yeah, I thought I was being pessimistic when I when I had that thought too. But then I thought actually that's probably true for me of most series of right. modern Doctor Who. You could probably probably all series of Doctor Who, but most you know you could probably put a killer season together mm. from series nine and series ten, for instance. You know you could probably that's choose true. any two and do that. That's you know? true. We we look at that stuff through rose tinted spectacles now. I think yeah, uh, I a think little so. bit. Um, and I think the the other thing about twenty twenty and Doctor Who is. That it's been people have been using it so much as a springboard for other content they've been making sure. as a kind of solace in how crummy the whole year has been. Well, there was the so, whole Doctor Who lockdown stuff that Emily Cook organised, you know, in the first lockdown, and I know that's come back now um, in, in a slightly diminished form. Um, yeah, and people, yeah, it's been a highlight of lots of people's Doctor Who year, I think. Yeah, and people springboarding off of that and doing their own thing, um, and uh, you know, little bits of little bits of user made content all over the place. And I just think that's the that's the year that you know that's what marks out twenty twenty post post series twelve. I think. Yeah, because I think and it, it does it, kind in of in a way it, like series twelve doesn't even really feel like because twenty twenty to me began in March meaningfully. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Series 12 doesn't really feel like it happened in 2020 because it happened in a time when we were living life as normal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. I mean, here in Australia, that's in in those first two months of the years was when there were really severe bushfires here as well, too. Right, okay. And and so I was I was watching Series 12 and thinking, what does it really mean to be watching this show at mm. this point in time when actually things are really, really dire for a whole lot of people? Um, and it felt strange is the answer to that like it just felt like a weird thing to be doing a slightly comforting and slightly inconsequential thing at the same time to be doing Um, yeah and then it ended and then uh, as somebody said to me recently shit went topsy Uh, and that's my (laughs) new expression for everything (laughs) yeah I think that's accurate (laughs) yeah so Um, I think I mean that's interesting to me how, how people have found kind of found a way through Doctor Who to kind of find some sort of comfort and some sort of um, distraction and um, some ongoing spark, I think, is really... It's a really nice thing. For sure. I mean, it's been funny watching all of these 
myriad things happening with people creating their own content and then obviously all of the Time Lord Victorious spin-off stuff that's been perpetually coming out throughout the year. Um, and then in terms of actual televised Doctor Who, there's this one episode that we've all been... that we were all <laughs> kind of gearing up to for so long. Like, in a way... I, I mean, we're not talking about Revolution of the Daleks today, but in, in a way it could never be what people wanted it to be. Do you know what I mean? Everything was resting on that to save to save the year. And it really does feel like something from a, from a different era because it was made like, you know, 15 months ago or something now, wasn't it? So yeah, it really yeah, has yeah. the weight of history on it. I've got to I say mean, that... Even, the, even though there's a clear Theresa May analogue in the story. What would that have been like if Theresa May had still been Prime Minister and then Doctor Who had had exterminated her I think it would have felt time. more um, more daring than it did um, in yeah. reality yeah I'd like to have seen yeah. them exterminate Boris Johnson in, in, in prime time for sure <laughs> maybe next year <laughs> maybe maybe I hope so <laughs> Um, uh, we can only we can only hope. But actually, I think that the Time Lord Victoria stuff is a good is a good contrast to the sort of vital user made content stuff mm. which was going on. Like I I haven't been able to engage with the Time Lord Victoria stuff at all. Not because I don't have access to it, but because I find the whole thing completely bewildering um, and and not something I'm not something I want to seek out, not something I want to decode and find my way through. Um, so in, in that sense, the stuff which is more readily available and more readily, readily accessible and, and made by people who, who are doing it for the love of the show seems to me, that seems to me to be a theme of 2020, but, but one of that, one side of that has really landed and the other side of that looks a bit lost to me. It's funny as well, because ultimately Time Love Victorious is something that has been made by fans. It's just been made by professional fans, I guess. And it's as the internet becomes our primary source of media and entertainment, you know, audio Mm. dramas made by fans on an official basis, audio dramas made by fans on an unofficial basis, it all starts to become less meaningful. Do you know what I mean? Like... When there's not that distinction of, oh, you can buy this one in HMV and you can't buy this one in HMV. Like, they're both just things you download from a website. Like, what yeah. what does it mean anymore to be officially endorsed by the BBC? Yeah, I agree. I think the, the lines between, you know, the lines between amateurism and professionalism are increasingly being blurred. Except that maybe in the professionally released stuff, you can feel the weight of everyone being involved in the conversation behind it you know the marketing people and the content people and the That's true, yeah. people and the branding people and and that perhaps overcomplicates all that stuff a little bit it seems to me anyway yeah so, perhaps maybe yeah yeah but that yeah it is interesting and i suppose the the you know in some senses the the pathways from being a, a cre- an amateur creator of content to being a professional creator of content have never been clearer. You know, there's never been more access to that sort of thing. Um, but if the lines are getting blurrier, do you even really want to do that anymore? Like, if you can, re- I mean, you make a podcast, right? You, if you can reach an audience and your audience are getting stuff out of it, and you and and you enjoy doing it, then what? Yeah, what is- would I get out of other than monetary reward? 
what yeah. would I, you know, if the BBC approached me, you, you, we want you to do the official Doctor Who podcast now for the BBC. I, I think, and they totally should, of course. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I'd probably say yes purely because that would be a great job. But in a way, I kind of think, well, it would be a fundamentally less interesting thing to make. Yeah, yeah. Because you'd inevitably be, yeah, more constrained as to what you could do. And I think the one thing about being the, you know, creators of amateur content, if we can call it that, or non-professional content, allows you to be super, super niche. Like, I think about those guys who do the the Dalek 63 videos, you know, the ones about... I mean, I'm addicted to those things. They are brilliant, but really, I'm not sure, you know, that it's their very nicheness which makes it not professional like you couldn't release that professionally to a to a mass audience but that's what no one's really gonna makes pay it interesting. you to do that ever yeah yeah that's the that's the thing yeah so it's um yeah so not only have a lines blurred but also it's like it's it's like you can find you can find an audience these days and and you can create stuff of value and people are going to like it you know i, I think that's a great position to be in yeah i think that thing about finding an audience is really interesting because i think from especially from an amateur perspective you're not endorsed by any recognized brand or you're not promoted by you know somebody with lots of money you Mm. you kind of have to go for a niche because how else do you reach an audience especially now where the internet is so saturated with content there have been times when throughout this year i mean i suppose we'll move on to this in a minute but there have been times where i've thought Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to to get to do podcasts with? I love doing podcasts about Doctor Who, but wouldn't it be great to get to do podcasts with people who aren't Doctor Who people? I'd love to, you know, I'd love to interview some musicians. I'd love to interview some writers that are not Doctor Who writers and talk about other stuff. But I think the market for it would be a lot harder to find a listenership for this is the Molly Marsh podcast. Do you know what I mean? In the sense that nobody, unless you're a known figure, nobody really gives a shit. Yeah, yeah, you've got a you've got an attackable market, as they say in the yeah. in the Doctor Who fandom niche, which is which is you can you know the pathways in for that. But but you know in a, a genre like music, there'd be similar niches where you could find that sort of that sort of entryway too. For sure, um, I've just thought of one other Doctor Who thing I've been doing in 2020, which is I watched all the Hartnell episodes again. Oh, fantastic. Um, and I'm not really sure why I did that. Like, I just I just kind of wanted to go back and revisit that. Was it with and a view to kind of watching everything again, or did or did you just do it? No, I'm desperately trying to not watch everything again. Like, I'm <laughs> desperately trying to kind of resist the temptation. I didn't it really, wasn't sensing but, at all to watch Power of the Daleks after? <laughs> just carry on? I would, no, I had... <laughs> funnily enough, I'd, I'd watched the animated Power of the Daleks again, which I'd bought again right. this year. Uh, so, so I, I kind of have watched that, but but not um, not as a result of it. But I was thinking about how great those first three years are of the program before it settles down into a kind of sense of what Doctor Who is and becomes a sort of formula that it, that it uses for the rest of its lifespan. And in mm. those first three years, you really have the sense that anything is possible, and that. The the stories are so wildly varied from um, from week to week, and then you know once you hit once Innes Lloyd and Jerry Davis come in and they cast Patrick Trout and it really does settle into a, a really sort of 
you know, the, the Doctor is a hero, the Doctor is, there's a problem to solve, there are monsters, he comes in, he, he, he sorts things out. Yeah. Um, I do, I do th- think that, kind of, I like Patrick Troughton and I like his stories, but I do think that he was a bit wasted on the on the sheer number of base under siege stories that he got given. I mean, it would have been so yeah. interesting to see him do a more varied set of stories. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's it's very different to 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 those Hartnell years where you really, you know, you, you those those weird years where you go from the massacre to the Ark to the Celestial Toymaker to the gunfighters of all things like it's just who was the target audience for this program Mm. it is just it's nutty um and there's something there's 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 some there's a little element of that variety and that careering wildly from thing to thing that the show never kind of gets back again i think yeah not really not in the same way um i rewatched all of new who this year oh how was that it was great. I, I rewatched it on my lunch breaks with um with my friend Johnny, who I did my last with my Christmas podcast with. Um and yeah, it was great. It was great to watch some stuff vicariously vicariously through the eyes of of somebody else. Um, I loved it. I loved rewatching the Capaldi stuff. Loved rewatching all the RTD stuff. Um, it was great. Did you find it confirmed what you already thought, or did you? D- or there are parts of it you thought, man, I was I was completely wrong about that. Um, I think I'd I think I'd uh, incorrectly character. I mean, I said this in the Christmas podcast, so I won't go into it too much. But I think I incorrectly characterized um, the RTD era as consistent and the Moffat era as inconsistent, and I don't think that is true. Looking back, mm. I think there are stretches of those RTD years that are fairly kind of uh, bland and pedestrian. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of stuff like the uh, the Daleks in Manhattan two-parter and the Sontaran mm. two-parter. You know, I'd never, I would never watch those again now, having watched them. I mean, I inevitably will, but they're just <laughs> that Daleks one in particular. I would never have, you know, I've never loved that story, but I wouldn't have ever before picked it out as one of the weakest of the entire run. And now yeah. looking back, it's just so. I was willing it to be over. It it really was <laughs> dull, and there was that I just is a, got that's a terrible from. position to be in in a Doctor Who story. It's that's it's it. When, it's like that, when will some, this end? There are some dreadful Doctor Who stories that are still engaging, and that I just found, ugh, you know, I found it, I found it quite exhausting. Mm. Bearing in mind, I was in, watching it on my lunch break as well. So, willing it to be over meant willing the working day to begin anew. Which wow. you know, I mean, that's, that's really saying something. That's saying something. When you were showing it to um, to your friend who you were watching it with, were there and were there bits that they were not enjoying? Which you suddenly, when you saw it through their eyes, you saw something worse in it. You felt something contract. Do you know what I mean? Um, you know what? No, I don't. I think we generally. I'd like to say that there were moments like that, but no, we generally agreed on stuff. I mean, the real difference in opinion came when I showed him bits of classic Who, which he'd never seen before. And that was... Uh, his view was generally, this is really bad, apart from City of Death, which which is, uh, you know, historically been my view that I've expressed mm. on this podcast, but I've always said it half ironically, and um, he meant it very seriously. 
<laughs> he was not being unironic. Yeah. Well, yeah. And yeah, he hated yeah. the case of Angiozzani. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I, I did hear him speak about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was an interesting one. But I, I think you know, it's it's from a certain perspective, and I think I've I've written about this before about how you you do have to kind of be you do have to watch Doctor Who in a, classic Doctor Who in a slightly forgiving way actually to get to get the best out of it. Yeah, I mean, and well, even, the, con- the conclusion we came to is that it's it's a great thing to watch with other people and i actually agree with him there i i much prefer watching it alongside somebody to watching it uh, on my own yeah yeah you but know, also you it's do commentary you can chat about it you can you know it's yeah. more interesting that way yeah but even what's even the best doctor who stories you know like the the case of angelzani to a certain to a, from a certain viewpoint look just like every other Doctor Who story and are sort of indistinguishable from each other. And you need the slightly forgiving gaze of a fan to go, I'm willing to I'm willing to delve into this a bit more than is healthy, really. Yeah, I mean I saw Max Curtis tweeting the other day, um, saying that, you know, to to regular people there is no, you know, marked difference in quality between Heaven Sent and Fear Her is all just Doctor Who and it's mm. and they watch it and it's fine. And I, you know, I half agree with that. I think maybe he is underestimating the casual viewer a little bit there. But there is some truth to the fact that you know, people aren't going to think about, is this story better than this story? Is this one, is this one, one of the greatest? They're just going to be like, yeah, I watched Doctor Who and it was good this week. There's no, yeah. they're not going to think about it more than that. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be maybe there's a few standout episodes that they remember. Like I think of other other series that I've watched about the kind of uh, mad further with which I've watched Doctor Who, mm, and mm. I think you know that there'll always be an episode or two that you might stick out in your mind, or you might recall, uh, you know, from time to time. But yes, I think broadly speaking, you're right. The rest of it sort of falls into a yeah, that was good this week. What's next kind of mode. I think there is is there a sense I, I sometimes think is there a sense with Doctor Who it's different because the episode episodes of Doctor Who are so distinct aren't they so it's much more easy to think about what your reaction was to a specific episode whereas yeah. other shows um, especially more serialized shows it's kind of harder to distinct I'm thinking of shows I've watched this year I you know I watched The Queen's Gambit for example which I thought was absolutely fantastic oh, but it's fantastic isn't it Amazing. it would be difficult for me to say oh well, I thought this was the best episode or I thought that was the best episode because it's kind of hard to remember what happened in each one it, it was a, just an ongoing story yeah. yeah um even something like Breaking Bad it's like okay everybody knows Ozymandias is one of the best and The Fly is one of the best but when you think about I don't know, like, I would not be able to tell you any other episodes distinctly from each other. I suppose in, in those, in those sort of series with, with a smaller number of episodes than Doctor Who does each year, and with one story to tell throughout the whole thing, tone is consistent between the episodes, you know, direction is consistent, performances are yeah. consistent. And in a way, a Doctor more Who... consistent writing team, I guess, as well. Yeah, that's right. And, and and Doctor Who's job is to be inconsistent. It's to be different each week. You know, so even, even season series 12 from, from 2020, mm. you know, goes from 
Orphan 55 to the Tesla episode to the Jadoon episode, and they do look and feel all different. So it's it must be easier, therefore, for for individual episodes to stick out in your mind. Yeah, this is kind of what I'm what I'm getting at. Um, Mm. That's already made me think about class because I suppose class. It's a funny thing to bring up, but I suppose it landed on a weird middle ground between those two things because it had this internal consistency, uh, and it had a, a single writer kind of an alter running the show but then it was also because it was you know a baby sister of Doctor Who it was kind of aiming for this each episode is its own world thing as well but it do you know what I mean it kind of meandered on a weird line between those two modes yeah I do I think it I think you're right to say that it did kind of fall between those two posts as well and perhaps the other thing that it was saddled with was kind of being in in inverted commas in a Doctor Who genre you know, mm. but this is a Doctor Who spin-off. It has to be sort of. It has to appeal to a Doctor Who audience, so it's got to. It's got to share some similarities with that. So it couldn't be one thing or the other, really. You know, it couldn't be a kind of prestigious Netflix one-story kind of drama because no, it's got really. to. You know, it's 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 got to be part of the the Doctor Who cosmos or whatever we call it these days. Yeah, and there was very little kind of linking it to Doctor Who in terms of actual story elements, as many people have obviously talked about. So yeah. maybe the thing it felt it needed to to kind of link it to Doctor Who was the 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 form and the the mode it was working in. What what do you think? What's Chibnall's spin-off? Do you think new oh, new Torchwood? God. Do you reckon? With, I th- with you know uh, what I hate to say, it, I think that is what he would do. If the BBC hmm. said do me a spin-off, I think he'd just do Torchwood series five. I mean, he, he even he even went to the effort in the special of um, mentioning Gwen and everything, didn't he? Yeah, and saying that Jack would hang around on Earth for a bit. So it felt, I don't know. I mean, it just made I'm, me think. I, yeah, I'm under no illusion that Torchwood is is going to come back, but it it felt like he was leaving the door slightly ajar for it, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, so I struggle to think what else that? it would be. Oh yeah, I think I I think I could go for more Torchwood. I'm not sure, you know. I think I think it would be. I think even we live as in a I different... said that sentence, it didn't sound very definite, though. Did it? <laughs> I think I, I think could go for more Torchwood. World, world now, I think though, I could know. have another piece of cake. Yeah, I think <laughs> I could go for more Torchwood. <laughs> it just doesn't didn't sound definite, did it? I wasn't convinced by. It. I, I think I think that we just live in a different world now to the one we lived in in two thousand and six. You know, what it means to be a show about you know LGBT people fighting aliens has really changed mm. in that time. I'm not sure people would accept a show like Torchwood now. I think they would is, need is to be something more. I've got to confess, it's been a long time since I, I revisited any of the Torchwoods, but um, mm. is it is it a bit dated? The con- Is that what you're saying? The concept's a bit dated these days? Yeah, I think it's quite... I mean, this idea that you've got Jack, who's this kind of... Uh, I don't know. He He's quite a... Obviously, he was a revolutionary character, and to have a character like that in a children's show was incredible at the time, but he's quite a safe... LGBT character, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Do you know? Do you know? Understand my meaning? I, I, well, do you mean? Do you mean that he doesn't do anything particularly groundbreaking, or he doesn't do anything particularly daring, or that he's, or that he's a he's a still a nice, handsome, kind of handsome, leading man kind of actor to put on a 
prime to lead a kind of prime time TV yeah, series. Yeah, he's a handsome leading man. He's cisgender. He is. Um, he kind of fits the mold of how the the wider general public think of a gay man. Do you know what I mean? It's all it's all it all kind of falls into what you would have expected at the time. Um, yeah. And also, you know, the whole storyline with Yanto, he and Yanto having that relationship, I think would would go down really badly now. I, I think what seemed romantic, it seemed romantic then, didn't it? That Yanto, that Jack was the only man that Yanto was interested in and he was otherwise yeah. heterosexual. And now I think that would just go down really badly. Yeah. I think people have learned that that's not a compliment. <laughs> right. So we can't... Yeah, so. I mean, Bad news, Chibbers. You can't have Torchwood. You can't. I mean, do... maybe you could, but you'd you'd have. I think you'd have to change it. You'd have to introduce some new characters, and you'd have to do some new stuff with it. And I don't think yeah. you. I don't think you could have Chibnall. I mean, obviously Chibnall would be an exec producer on it, but I think you'd need some exciting LGBT writers on it. Yeah. I think that would be what kind of made or made or broke it. Yeah. I've never said that in uh, the past tense before. <laughs> I think that is that would be the the make or break of that of that uh, kind of uh, spin-off idea. Yeah. Did you say? Did you watch Sex Education? I did. I thought it was excellent, extraordinary. Yeah. So there's an interesting. I mean, to, to take what you're saying is that things need to be uh, brought up a little bit more t- to date, and mm. that you know that. Diverse, putting diversity on screen and and telling interesting stories, uh, which come directly from the people experiencing it and writing it. Uh, you know, obviously, it's a very different aesthetic and a very different show to Doctor Who or to Torchwood. But you could see you could see something with those sort of characters, those sort of performers, those sort of writers coming out of that. Yeah, hundred percent. That's exactly the the sort of. Um Move it, it needs to make. I think, yeah. Hmm. Um, should we talk about the the podcast a little bit? I know you. I don't know whether you want to do the unpopular oh, opinions, or yes. you want to ask me some questions, or, or what you want to do. I did. I, I did want to ask you some questions because I thought, partially because we've talked for a, uh, a number of times now, and I kind of wanted to slightly turn the tables a little bit, Molly. Yeah, why not? To, why not? Why not? But also, I was just thinking, you've done so. You've done how many years of Galactic Yono now? So this, I'm, we're now entering the fourth year of Galactic Yo-Yo. Um, yeah. It's not four years yet, but it's, uh, we're, yeah, it, I started it in 2017, so. Yeah. And, and over 100 episodes, right? Yeah, it's like 117, 118, maybe. Yeah. And I've wondered what you've, I was wondering what, I think it's a really interesting thing that you've done, because most podcasts are sort of panel conversations or, you know, lots of experts on a topic all talking mm. about it and yours is a real conversation between two people and that i think is kind of rare it's certainly in doctor who podcasts i think um and so i was wondering what you've learned what have you learned about fans from all those conversations that you've had with them well firstly i mean <coughs> pardon me frog in my throat i hope it's not coronavirus making its uh <coughs> appearance i'm so, i'm currently self-isolating so I've had to lock myself indoors for 10 days. I've got like three days left. Um, oh, man. So I'm hoping that no uh, symptoms appear, but it's yeah, it's been fine so far. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I've said this before, but it's kind of interesting what you said there about most podcasts being these kind of panel discussions, and obviously mine is, is kind of just me and, and somebody else. And that is 
that has kind of been part of the challenge of it, I think, as well. I mean, it's rare for a podcast to be conceived of, produced, kind of mm. organized by one person. Um, and that's kind of, yeah, it can be, it can be uh, quite a solitary thing making the podcast, even though it's a lot of conversations. Like, it's very much my project. And that's, um, yeah, it makes it a lot more difficult to kind of make decisions about where I want to go with it and gauge whether I'm doing the right thing with it and I, you know I, I, it's only kind of me and the audience that can kind of uh, yeah. have that conversation rather than I imagine with some other podcasts it's decisions like that would become too among, um, amongst the group um, so that is yeah that was one of the challenging things about it you asked me hmm. kind of another part of the question that I, I completely forgotten sorry Oh, it was about it's about what you've learnt from having you know over a hundred oh. conversations with fans. What have you learned about fans and fandom? And you know, uh, that, that I hate to kill the premise of my own podcast, but there's no such thing as an unpopular or popular opinion. It doesn't. It's not real. You yeah. know what? It's not just that what one fan considers popular, another fan will consider unpopular. It's that fandom is not one. Uh, homogenous thing it's a there are a lot of there are a lot of doctor who fandoms and they all have different collective wisdoms and that's been part of the interesting you know i think i've managed with this podcast to tap into lots of different corners of the doctor who who world you know i've got contacts in all sorts of different circles of fandom and all of them have different kind of um yeah different bits of of wisdom that they look to um so that's been that's been really interesting to to think oh well you know what what's what could be an unpopular opinion in, in this context or, or among this group is a popular one among this other group or in this context that's mm. yeah that's one of the most interesting things about it i mean i often think about the unpopular opinions that um none of them strike me as very few of them strike me as particularly unpopular no i mean some sometimes over time i've i've kind of at first, I tried to police what was what was an unpopular opinion a little bit more. Um, you know, people would bring things to me and I'd say, no, I don't think that's unpopular enough. I think we need to go for something, uh, uh, you know, more extreme. But over time, I've kind of just let people talk about whatever they want because I've found that, I mean, it makes for a, a more uh, natural conversation for a start. And it's just, you know, who am I to... S firstly, I mean, who am I to say what's popular and unpopular? Um mm. It, you know I, I'm not in their circles and I, I'm not the arbiter of that in in the Doctor Who world and yeah I just I found it easier just to just to allow the conversation to go where it where it wants to go rather than being like oh we've got to be really controversial or we've got to be I mean even again I've said this before but even the fact that when I first started the podcast my plan was to to play devil's advocate and I was going to argue against the unpopular opinion every week and that's what <laughs> I sort of attempted to do in episode one and it didn't go so well and i learned that that was not ever going to be that interesting it would be more like a yeah. game show format than a than a conversation and i was more interested in having a conversation yeah and i think it's the as i was saying before i think it's the conversation which makes it the more interesting the more interesting part and uh, the other thing do you, you do you think do you think sorry uh, to interrupt do you think that my podcasts are conversations or do you think they're interviews because I was talking to the the other Johnny, the the one from Christmas, um, the other day, and he was saying, "Oh, I think they're definitely interviews," and I was surprised by that view. Well, I suppose they're interviews in the sense that that you ask a series of questions, which people respond to, 
Um, and uh, but perhaps it's it's at its most interesting to me when the inter- when those questions stop taking on that structure of an interview and start becoming more free flowing and mm. and and become an exchange of ideas. Um, you know, the devil's advocate thing is not really an exchange of ideas, is it? It's just a well, I'm going to I'm going to ask a series of um, contrasting questions, which allows your argument to be examined and brought out and drawn out a little bit more. Mm, Whereas yeah. an exchange of ideas, which I think your podcast does, is kind of, well, I, I think this about this, that leads me to a different point over here, uh, that leads us to a point where we kind of agree or disagree, and that's where a conversation is happening rather than an interview, I think. Yeah, I guess I, I mean, what, what do you think? What, is, it, is it an interview or a conversation? I mean, what I would say is that it depends on the podcast probably i think there are some some of my podcasts where i i maybe know the person a little less well you know the nick briggs podcast i did a couple of years ago for example that's squarely in the interview camp you know i'm asking yeah, him yeah. about his career and his life whereas this one that we're doing now is definitely a conversation because you know you and i have come to know each other from doing a number of podcasts and stuff so we i don't know it feels more like a conversation to me yeah, that's right. And I suppose when you're the more you the more you attract people who you don't know to your podcast and people who um uh who you know, who ordinarily being on this sort of podcast would not be their the thing they do on a day to day basis, the more formal and more kind of structured it has to become. Yeah, yeah. And I think the more I put pressure on myself, you know, I found myself at the end of this year doing the podcast with Rufus Hound and, and Peter Harness in quick succession, which were obviously you know, I love all my podcasts and I, I love all my podcast guests equally, but obviously their notoriety meant that I was more nervous and felt more pressured when doing those two. Um, and I really made sure I had questions for them and I made sure that the conversation was going to have a shape and that f- I felt more like an interviewer and I felt I felt more obligation to be an interviewer in, in those two podcasts, particularly the Rufus Hound one. So what makes what makes for the most interesting conversations for you? I don't know. I think maybe the ones that begin as interviews and become conversations. It's really hard to have a convers to just have a conversation, especially when, again, like you and I can do that. But especially when I don't know the person, it's very hard just to launch in and and make it feel like a two sided discussion. Yeah, you, I think you've got to start from a couple of really good questions and then see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Peter Harness one, my I, my opening question was, uh, what's the best idea you've ever had? And then <laughs> I had no idea where he was going to go with that. And we ended up having a conversation about um, about I, I, the nature of ideas and what it means to have a good idea, idea. And that kind of led to a real two-sided discussion. But I couldn't have known where that was going to go. I did, but I, I kind of knew it was going to go somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You've never seemed to me to be outraged by anyone's idea or offended by anyone's idea or um you you there never seems to be a podcast where you leave on completely uh different ends of an argument, you know. And sometimes sometimes I would that sort of interest you? Like would you deliberately seek out somebody who you think, "Wow, that's going to be a really sparky, maybe difficult conversation." Well, I've thought about it. I've thought about approaching people like Philip Morris and his ilk and doing a, and attempting to do a sort of Louis Theroux on them. I've really thought oh, seriously wow. about it. 
But I've, I, I just, you know, I don't think it would go down that well. I don't think it would be that interesting a conversation. Uh, and sometimes I don't agree with people maybe as much as I'm making it sound. Yeah, but it, yeah. it's... I don't know. I don't think conflict's that interesting, so I don't want to... Yeah. I don't want to make it into an argument, you know? And I think I pick, I pick my guests carefully as well. I, I don't think I would pick somebody that was going to say something that I thought was objectionable. Yeah. Um, unless I did do that deliberately, like with someone like Philip Morris, which I, obviously I haven't done yet. Um, but I don't think I would... Yeah, there's certain areas of Doctor Who fandom that I stay away from and I would not poach guests from those areas mm. um, and this comes back to yeah. this comes back to the process of making content too because you've got to enjoy it right you've got to be looking forward to it um, and so if you're that's if it you're, yeah I don't you know, I don't want to be uh, yeah thinking oh tonight after work I've got to have a really spiky conversation with a you know yeah with somebody I don't like from YouTube no I don't yeah. want to do that yeah fair enough uh, so we can tell who you don't like because they haven't been invited on Galactic Go-Yo. Yeah, so it, if you haven't been invited <laughs> on yet, then that means I definitely don't like you and it doesn't mean... <laughs> don't think it means that I just haven't got around to you or I don't know who you are. It means I definitely don't like you. <laughs> look, and I'll, I'll, look I'll, I'll let you get back to kind of asking the questions in a minute, but here's a kind of other question I wanted to ask was mm. you know after all these all these conversations about Doctor Who had, had, do you view the program differently than you did when you started and and how so I think it's made me enjoy watching it more um, than I ever did which I didn't think could happen but it makes me kind of enjoy it whether it's good or not because mm. it because I'm always going to have a I'm always going to be able to have a conversation about it and that's that's nice because it means that there's never really a bad Doctor Who episode for me anymore. They're all good because they all open the door to great podcast conversations. Oh, that's lovely. That's really nice. Also, not to get too kind of mushy about it, but it, this podcast has really... It's but been you so, have spent days in a room, Molly, so I think you're allowed to get a bit mushy if you well, need to at this point. You know, I spent New Year's Eve on, on, well, on my own in this house, but on Zoom to like five or six Doctor Who fans and you know we, we had a little New Year's do and there were all people that I only know because of the podcast you know I'd, people like Luke Spillan and Kezia and um, Beth and Connor and Crystal and Sarah and David was that everybody Gabby and Jenny um, so having those people as my friends is because of the podcast and that's extraordinary you know yeah, it's a real, and and one of the things you've said on the podcast a couple of times is the whole reason why you started it was to talk to other Doctor Who fans. Yeah, but I never thought it would be, I never thought those people would become my friends in quite the way that they have, which is has been lovely. Yeah, that's awesome. Especially because I moved to a new city, you know, just after I'd started the podcast, which I didn't know I was going to be doing. You know, when I started in in the July, I didn't know I was going to be moving down to London in the November. Hmm. But I did, and then all those people... Oh, God, I forgot Tom. How could I forget Tom when I said all the people that I was with? <laughs> um, Tom knows that I love him. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't... It wasn't... It just so happened that all those people live down here. Um, apart from Jenny, who uh, insists on living in Cheshire. Um, oh. And who can blame her? But um, it was... 
yeah, I, 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 you know, it was not there was not some uh, grand plan, but it all just kind of fell into place, and that's been that's been really nice. Yeah, that's terrific. That's terrific. Well, that's all the impertinent questions I had for you. I was going to ask you about some unpopular opinions. Um, Excellent. Great. So, and I will attempt to be more quick fire than I have been in previous episodes. Yeah, we're going to aim for mega this. quick fire. Okay, we're going to do that. And some of these are massive topics, so it's going to be incredibly <laughs> difficult for you to be quick, quick fire. But we're going to try it anyway, right? Okay, I'm, um, I'm doing my best, Molly. Right. Okay. So, firstly, actually, in the early part of the year, we had, um, we had. Uh, series 12 and i did a series of podcasts talking about the episodes in series 12 so spyfall yes or no yes definitely yes uh orphan 55 yes or no um you know when i first watched it strong yes and have gradually fallen out of love with it um what was after that it was nikola tesla's night of terror yes or no uh yeah okay ish yes fugitive of the jadoon yes or no uh yes Praxiest, yes or no? No. Uh, can you hear me? Yes or no? Strong no. Strong no. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, the haunting of Willa Diodati. Yes or no? Strong yes. Uh, Ascension of the Cybermen. Yes or no? Uh, um, no. <laughs> Question mark. The, the timeless children. Yes or no? No, definitely not. Definitely uh, not. <laughs> and finally. Uh, Revolution of the Daleks, yes or no? Yes, yes, though I'm still kind of in the post-viewing afterglow, but yes. Great, we'll see next year. I'll ask you again and see if it's <laughs> become a no or not. And then I will hate it. Yeah. Um, great, so I had FailWhale34 from YouTube tell me that the Weeping Angels have been overused in Doctor Who. Would you agree with that? No. Would you agree with his opinion, though, that they that they each time they come back it's to diminishing return. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair enough. I, I, I think that, you know, if you look at how many episodes of Doctor Who there have been and how many the angels are in, it's not really a sense of being overused, I think. No, I mean, there are only three meaningful Reaping Angel yeah. stories, aren't there, really? I mean, they're in yeah. other stories here and there, including the latest episode. But um, Yeah, yeah. So, no, I think, I think they're fine. Would you agree that Peter Davison is underrated? Um, it was uh, Darren Mooney that, that told me that. Uh, look, I, I, I love Davison. Like it's, he was the Doctor who was on when I first started watching Doctor Who. So yeah. I, th- I think he's terrific. And I don't really know if he's underrated or not. Like, Does this mean that he's kind of poor, thought poorly of? I'm not really sure he is thought poorly of. So... Mm. so um, but let's, you know, for the sake of quick fireness, let's just say, uh, no, he's not. Hang on, is that what I'm saying? Yes, he is underrated. <laughs> he is underrated. You like him, he's good. Okay, Danny yeah. Pink is underrated, said uh, Samantha Harder. Um, yes, I think he has a kind of. Um, I think it's a good performance. He's an interesting character. Um, some odd choices along the way but generally speaking I think he's he's a good addition to the show uh, she also told me that the Lazarus experiment is underrated uh, the Lazarus experiment is terrible <laughs> I'm so sorry that I, Samantha but I absolutely agree with Johnny <laughs> uh, and I, I, I mean I told her that myself um, and she she was kind of laughing about it too she was able to admit <laughs> that so she's a massive Spider-Man fan 
and I think she oh, loved okay. it because it reminded her of the of the, of a kind of supervillain story, like a Doc Ock thing or something. Yeah, which I kind of I, I see what she means. I love lots of terrible Doctor Who, but then there's Doctor Who, which is terrible, and I don't love, and that's one of them. Yeah, um, I mean this this is not really one that you can really agree or disagree with or have a right to agree <laughs> or disagree with but I spoke to Joy um, Piedmont about the Timeless Children being a, in her opinion an adoption parable um, did you hear that episode? I think it's one yeah, of the I best did. episodes it was really I've, interesting. I've ever done yeah. 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 Um, yeah. did you have any kind of general thoughts on what she'd said or, or are you going to leave that alone? no I look I, I, I don't know what the Timeless Children is about really I got to get the sense it's a parable about something. Um, yeah. I ge- I'm generally mystified as to what it's trying to do. Um, and But her take that it's an adoption parable was something I hadn't thought of, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, and I could, and, and I thought she, she walked us through that parable pretty well, I thought. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that she was still saying, I, I, you know, I still don't think it's very good. But it touched it touched me in this place for this reason, and that I was kind of s- interesting. I still don't know if, if what that episode was trying to do was trying to broaden out Doctor Who or trying to constrict Doctor Who. Like I'm I really not sure it, which one. It my is. opinion is that I think it's it, it thinks it's trying to broaden out Doctor Who, but really it's restricting it. Yeah, I think, I think it kind so of too. doesn't know what it's what it's doing. You know, it and thinks then, it thinks yeah. it's going. Oh, Doctor, the Doctor has been and can be anything. But it's actually saying it can be anything within this set of rules that we have now constructed. Yeah. Which is just I, I'm kind of very confused about what it's trying to do. I think I think what you, how you've expressed it is probably right. Um, that makes the most sense of it. Mm. Would you agree with Evan Jones that um, there has never been and will never be a good Doctor Who video game? <laughs> you are completely asking the wrong person because I am not a gamer, but I think he must be right because surely if there had been a uh, a Kickass Doc Two video game, we would all know about it and know which one it is. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I mean, he was able to go, oh, maybe this one's all right, maybe that one's all right, but like, yeah, you're you're right there. It's like there isn't a standout. I mean, the the one that the conclusion I came to on that podcast was that there is. And it's the the mobile game thirteen um, uh, yes, that yeah, I've been yeah, playing yeah. relentlessly. I still play it all the time. It's become like a nervous tick now. Yeah. Um, but it's to call it good would be generous. To say it would uh, to say it's ruined my life would be more accurate. <laughs> right. Well, the uh, the best Doc Two video game is clearly the one which has ruined your life, Molly. <laughs> Uh, my kids, my kids were into Lego Dimensions for about forty-five minutes, that, and that was one we discussed as maybe being a contender for for a good one. And it's not really a Doctor Who video game, so no, no, but it does have a Doctor Who section, and yeah, it is a shame that they, they were never able to make a, a full Lego Doctor Who game. But um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, Christine Kelly told me the best Doctor Who is inherently queer. Thoughts. Yeah, well, I think there's I think there's too much of Doctor Who produced over too many years by too many people for it to be inherently anything. Mm-hmm. So I don't mm-hmm. know about it being inherently queer, but Doctor Who's always had and always attracted a queer following, and that is awesome. And that it attracts queer creative talent as well is also awesome. So 
uh, I'm not sure that it's I'm not sure that it's kind of inherent in that way that it's sort of written into the very fiber of the show. Um, yeah, but I think there's I'm, a version of Doctor Who that is is completely straight laced, but I don't think it's as good. Is what I would say. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, then we get back into what's good Doctor Who and what's bad Doctor Who, yeah, and, true, and then we true. might end up talking about the Lazarus experiment again. And clearly, <laughs> I'm going going to have legions of Lazarus experiments fans haunting me online. So, um, no. But in, in all seriousness, I think it's it then becomes a question of the position that you view Doctor Who from as to whether you think the best Doctor Who um, is served up in a particular way. You know what I think? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think what's interesting about it is that kind of Doctor Who has managed throughout its life to attract different kinds of LGBT to audiences. I mean, it's like what we were talking about with torture before. Mm. Like, you there's this certain generation of cisgender gay men who absolutely love Doctor Who. You know, I'm thinking of a generation in their sort of late 30s, early 40s now. Mm. And then there's also this young following it's got now of like of trans people and of um, gay women and, and queer women and I think that's interesting how it's kind of it's shape-shifted over time yeah and I don't and know I don't know if different. other I don't know if other shows attract a queer audience as much as Doctor Who does or, or less than Doctor Who does or, or because I don't have that in-depth knowledge of lots of other TV shows and its fandom but I just think it's something to be super proud of that Doctor Who does do that. I super agree. Um, would you agree that David Tennant is overrated, as um, uh, as Nathaniel Wayne told me? Um, no, I think he's. I think he's pretty pretty terrific. He was the sort of, you know, it's it's difficult to say he's overrated. He was the Doctor at the height of the show's popularity. Um, he he was sort of became. You know, sort of replace Tom Baker in that as that sort of architect archetype mm, of what mm. the Doctor is. I think it's pretty hard to to say that's overrated. Um, uh, and surely that's no, think, surely that's prime um, overrated material. No? Yeah, perhaps so. Once you're at the yeah, perhaps perhaps you're right. If it's the the most popular thing. It's surely the most uh, you know close yeah. to being overrated. Yeah, the I've most been listening for being overrated. I've been listening to uh, another podcast from Australia called Flight Through Entirety, and they've been doing the Tenant years. They've been critical of his performance. They've been critical of the things he does with the role. More critical than I would be. I think actually that right. he, um, I actually think that it's a it's a really strong and interesting performance. Uh, you know, a little bit overplayed at times, but you could say that about all of them. So uh, I find myself. Perhaps you know, perhaps reacting against a little bit of tenant backlash, recent tenant right. backlash, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's always cool to to dislike the thing that's popular, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, would you agree with Nicholas Moore that Blink is a bad introduction to Doctor Who? Yes, I think he's right about that. Yeah, I think I agree with him about that as well. I don't think it's the one that I would sit a, a new person down with. No, it's um, it it requires a, um, it's the one you would build up to. It, but it is certainly mm-hmm. the one which could potentially hook somebody into the show. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we've done half of this one already. Although, yeah, the, the um Ellie Tardis Monkey 
told me that um, the fifth and sixth doctors are both underrated. Yeah, well, let's well let's go for the sixth doctor because we've talked about the fifth doctor mm. already. Um, I think I'm already a little bit more sympathetic to the sixth doctor than most people are. Um, but, but in this case, I would say that um, I, I grudgingly sort of accept fan consensus about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I accept that I like him a little bit more than everyone else does, yeah. and everyone else is probably right, you know. This is one of those podcasts where um, you were asking about whether, when I disagreed with people. This is one of those where I just, I kind of had to just let Ellie say a bit and be chuffed <laughs> about the sick. I can't stand Colin Baker's doctor, and my <laughs> listeners know that. And I yeah. just had to, you know, I had to allow, I, I did a little bit of back and forth with Ellie, disagreeing with her, but in the end, I just thought, well, I'm going to let her enjoy her thing. It's hard to um, disagree with people's favourites. You know, like that's, that's it, isn't it? It's yeah, not an objective kind of conversation, is it? No, not 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 especially. Yeah. Um, would yeah. you agree with Christopher Johnson that Doctor Who is a children's show? I'm going to say no, um, and I don't think it's a children's show. And I, th- I I speak as somebody who watches a lot of children's content because I've got young yeah. kids. And Do your it, kids watch Doctor Who? Um, occasionally, and okay, and not not out of choice, you know, like there's right, not something. Right, right, right. But actually, they don't watch a lot of television at all, anyway, you know, because actually most of their content is coming from YouTube or from games yeah, or yeah. from other things. So they have to really concentrate. You know, they have to kind of remember that yeah, television is a thing. You know, I'm really... I, I think I may have had this conversation with you on a podcast before, but, you mm. know, from my experience teaching kids in uh, the, the job I used to do, uh, I think kids are losing their understanding of how narrative works from getting mm. all their content from YouTube and games. Yeah. I don't think... You know, you a thing you do at school uh, is that you you ask kids where do you think the story is going to go next or you ask them to deduce things about the story that an adult would be able to deduce easily and I think kids are getting worse and worse at that uh, as time goes on it, what is could be happening is that they could be just rewriting what narrative means and so that the work that they yeah, produce yeah, in yeah. 20 years time is going to be really unpalatable to us because it doesn't fit into a nice beginning middle end structure Yeah, maybe um, you're right you know, I often find I often find watching anime like the Studio Ghibli stuff, which I don't do a lot of at all. But I find that a really disconcerting experience because it really doesn't follow standard narrative structures. Mm. You know, we don't follow one character throughout the whole thing. You can suddenly take left turns and take a few left turns within the yeah. whole course of the thing. So I think maybe what's what is happening is that they're just going to redefine what what narrative means for them but i think doctor who's the crossover show i think you know it's a it's a show written written and created by adults for an audience which is going to span a whole range of age ranges but you know typically children's programming has children's characters in it uh it is speaking more directly to a children's audience than i think doctor who does um, mm. Does it have a children's audience? Of course it does. It absolutely does. Um, but that kind of doesn't make it a children's show, I reckon. I think I agree with you about that. Hmm. Would you agree with Mark Laherty that Rose Tyler is only okay? <laughs> uh, as a character, 
Yeah, I'll agree with that. As a character, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think as a performance, it was absolutely the right actor at the right time for the show, uh, and and it was it was a brilliant move. But actually, I don't particularly find the character super interesting or engaging, or no more interesting or engaging than any other of the characters we've had in New Who. I think I probably agree with you there. We are, we are we are so in agreement today, Molly. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Um, would you agree with uh, the whole conversation? Did you hear the podcast I did with Peter Harness? Because this one's quite hard to articulate. Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, it was terrific. It was what really good. What did you think about what he had to say about Doctor Who kind of navigating a post-colonial you know, landscape or the political landscape that, that we're kind of carving out now? I'd say that I agree with what he's saying and also that I think it's already started and it's, mm. it's kind of underway. If you yeah. think about that post-colonial argument about Doctor Who, that that he, or mostly he, because he's mostly been a man throughout the program's life, sure. is he he turns up. He's a he's a he's a British guy who turns up to a foreign place and f- and fixes what he perceives to be a problem and then leaves. That that <laughs> that's is colonialism, kind of, isn't it? That's colonialism. <laughs> um, but actually, when I when I stopped and thought back over the Jodie Whittaker series. I can't actually yeah. pinpoint a story where that happens. And if it happens, it happens on Earth. It doesn't... You know, so Arachnids in the UK, for instance, or Praxius or something like that. Yeah. The problem's confined to Earth. It's not like... So that led me to think, oh, perhaps this change is actually already underway. Um, I think as well, I think maybe there is some truth to, yeah, what the Doctor has been enacting for most of the program's life is colonialism. That You know, that is one reading, but I think it's... I don't think it's an especially generous reading. I think there are times when, you know, the Doctor doesn't behave like a colonialist, really, because he facilitates revolutions and stuff. He doesn't tend to... Um, colonialists, colonialists would would impose their own kind of rule, wouldn't they? Whereas the Doctor doesn't really do that. He kind of... He opens the door for revolutions to happen yeah he doesn't he yeah. doesn't impose one sort of rule a, a, a ruling kind of regime but he does impose a moral judgment um and i suppose that's that, true and i suppose that the story i'm thinking of here is the aztecs is potentially yeah. one of those stories where you can it, it's more pronounced but um yeah but then it you know a counterpoint to that is a story like the space museum yeah. Where the doctor being there just kind of is the is the little push that society needs to kind of turn itself around. Yeah. I think that I, know, I think I'm that you're right. No, no, no. I think you're right that it's not it is perhaps it's it's a it's a harsher reading of the series than might be might be justified. And so like I think the term you used was you know it's a, it's a little ungenerous, but Perhaps what it means is that gradually we will get to a point where you can't have one of those stories like, um, like say, Vengeance on Varos or something, you know, where he turns up, changes the whole thing, and then pisses off again. You know, maybe that, that they'll gradually be kind of weaned out. Not because we see them as particularly... Yeah. Particularly saying something about the motivations of the people who made the program... But because we just go, that's actually feeling a little bit dated now, and we just wouldn't tell that sort of story anymore. Um, yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I don't but know. what sort of story do you tell going for? I mean, this is a whole conversation I had with Peter again, I guess. But 
you know well you take you know you take a story like a passive doctor who just who just can't who can't enact change well i think we're there i think that has been Mm -hmm. a theme in jodie whittaker if you look at demons of the punjab for instance where you know where she's literally cannot do anything in that story in the climax of it she has to just kind of walk away from events um so we're already seeing we're already seeing a questioning of what it is and what it means to meddle in in other people's cultures is it you know do you think it's it's less a case of changing the way the doctor behaves and and more a case of kind of changing the way that we the way that we depict the doctor as a character you know if the doctor is more seems like a more supernatural force well, I think rather it's a, than a rather than a you know a symbol of colonialism or I think it's a challenge I think it's a challenge to you know we were talking about how in the Troughton area era it sets up a formula of the doctor's a problem solver he arrives he fixes yeah, things yeah. and that has that has endured really throughout nearly all of Doctor Who Mm. And it's a it's a challenge to that um, to that status quo of the program. So I couldn't I couldn't tell you what it means, but I guess it means it gets harder to tell traditional kind of the Doctor's a hero kind of story. Yeah, uh, it's, we have it, to find it, other it, ways of doing that. The Doctor being a catalyst for change. I mean, that's that's been happening for a while though. Because if you look at Series One. Christopher Eccleston's Doctor is often he has the conversations with people that make them be the hero you know yeah. and I think maybe that's what the Doctor could be going forward yeah true Look, especially what we... as we cast more and more diverse Doctors yeah indeed indeed when in fact telling that sort of story becomes a really weird thing to do you know a Joe yeah. Martin Doctor doing that kind of thing might seem really weird to, to viewers of the program um, yeah we, we almost want to be in a place where the where the the doctor kind of becomes um a sort of obi-wan kenobi to it to a to the hero of every story you know a sort of a wise mentor figure yeah the sort of and you're right that was that was something which was which was hanging around series one and series two quite a lot where the, the doctor wasn't the person who the, the doctor was the person who who acted as the catalyst for other people to do things yeah to take action totally. um yeah i think that was a really i thought it was a really interesting that was a really interesting episode of the podcast but as i reflected on it i thought oh yeah actually i think that change is already underway mm. Mm. yeah and i think maybe maybe peter acknowledged that but um yeah it was it was kind of interesting uh to to as well to hear a perspective of somebody who's obviously been a part of making the show kind of have those kind of discussions was was interesting yeah he was clearly a person who kind of he thought deeply about story and what it meant was what i got out of that you know like he took he took and he seemed to take take it all really seriously yeah and he and he i think he really cares what people think you know i I really took to peter i think he was lovely yeah um great and then more recently um i had marie claire from um marie claire's world on youtube tell me that I don't know whether you heard this episode but she essentially makes reaction videos and she's been reacting to all of classic Doctor Who uh, in order and she's never seen any of it before so she doesn't know anything about what's coming up 
and she's currently halfway through the Tom Baker era and she's come to the conclusion so far that she prefers John Pertwee hmm uh, yeah look not not for me uh, but you know it's it's it, what do we get out you know of what though I don't think her favorites. opinion's gonna I don't think her opinion's gonna change no you know no because she was saying oh you know I might change my this might change as time goes on as I watch the rest of the fourth doctor era and I'm I didn't say this to her but I'm thinking in my head that I don't think it will because the things she didn't like were the fourth doctor's inability to take things seriously and Tom Baker's kind of tongue-in-cheek attitude to everything and that that becomes steadily more pronounced as his era goes on you know yeah so i thought actually if anything you're gonna like him less yeah yeah true i mean the third doctor doesn't do much for me as 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 an embodiment of what the doctor is like i don't think no tends not to be my conception of him but it's interesting we're just talking about colonial colonialism because in a way he he comes off as that kind of uh, if you were thinking about if you were thinking about a um, uh, a white English guy coming to fix your problems, you'd probably think of somebody a bit like Pertwee. Um, yeah, and Which but then you've got that he gets uh, exiled to Earth for so long. Yeah, uh, but then there's a there's a string of stories which are critical of colonialism uh, mm. that that he's in, and so there's a kind of weird there's a weird juxtaposition of things going on there. Um, well, it's probably be probably easier to um, be critical of colonialism when you've got such a cl- clear colonialist in the role. Do you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, true. Um, yeah, or that might we, or that might leave a weird taste in the mouth. I don't know. Maybe, but, maybe. Yeah, but it's um, you know, in lots of ways. Some maybe, maybe you could say this about the 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 Pertwee stuff, although it's not entirely to to, to my taste at all. There are maybe some more interesting stories there, but you, then you get in the the Hinchcliffe, the more polished kind of gothic stories that you get in the Hinchcliffe. Um, yeah, maybe there's maybe. more poetry stories trying to say something. I think I I would probably agree with you as much as those Hinchcliffe stories are great. I it's not the most ambitious era of the program. No, and I'm a bit I'm a bit contrarian in this in this way because because the Hinchcliffe stories were the ones which were the most repeated when I was growing up mm. and so to me they feel like I've seen them all so many times and they feel a little bit um, too over I'm a little overly familiar with them um, so I'm a little bit harsher on them than than the, than most Doctor Who fans are I think but that makes sense no yeah. I think I think um, that's fair enough I think that's kind of a, a, an opinion that's growing in popularity mm. um, wow. And, and as the arbiter of whether, <laughs> as the arbiter of whether uh, yeah, whether opinions are popular or unpopular, I can tell you that with confidence. I think you should um, lead with that on the podcast from now on. I'm the marsh should, yeah. arbiter of whether something is popular <laughs> or unpopular. I should definitely do that. Um, great. I was going to ask you, where do you want to go with Doctor Who in 2021? What are you most looking forward to? about Doctor Who in 2020, uh, 2021? Uh, I'd, lo- I'd love it if some episodes got made. Um, I think that w- there was... When they announced that they were doing a reduced number of episodes this year, there was a bit of... There was a bit of grumbling online about, you know, how that they weren't getting as many episodes. But, you know, here's a production team trying to keep all its cast and crew safe yeah. and healthy. I mean, we're in a pandemic. I'm not going to get... I mean, I did a... a a tweet about it but I was being very uh, you know I wasn't being serious 
Oh, you, what was what did your tweet say? My tweet said, "I'm just looking for it now." Oh, oh yeah. your tweet do said, where, "Where are my 13 episodes? Come on, <laughs> I pull said, your do socks I understand up. that we are in a global pandemic and are therefore lucky to be getting any new television drama at all in 2021?" Yes. Did I just loudly proclaim eight episodes, <laughs> bloody part timers, for everyone in my <laughs> flat to hear? Yes. <laughs> that, and yeah, that is, yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. is my genuine view on it you know obviously I'm disappointed not to be getting more episodes but I kind of don't have any right to be disappointed at all yeah yeah Uh, I'd like I'd like as many episodes as they can make with keeping people safe obviously yeah Um, uh, I'd like uh, you know it's so it sounds like a dumb answer to this question but I find the whole last couple of years of Doctor Who to be so hot and cold for me um, I want more of what I like and less of what I don't. But what is that exactly? <laughs> I think fewer. I think fewer companions helps. You know, I think fewer. Yeah, yeah. Fewer Although characters of course we're getting a, we're getting a new companion. We thought we were going to get a, a, a Doctor and Diaz series, but we're going to get another companion too, which is fine. Well, the thing is, you know, also I I have I have doubts about whether a Doctor and Yaz combo could have could have sustained my interest throughout the whole series so in a way I welcome new character um, I, but did yeah, I read I somewhere think... did I read somewhere that he actually has COVID and so that's that's going to be probably throwing the whole schedule into chaos as we speak oh I think he may have had COVID yeah, yeah. but I mean you as long as you it's not I'm not sure that would rock the boat too much yeah it's probably going to take what two weeks out of the schedule but I guess in TV terms that is a long time yeah um, so I think actually yeah, a fewer I, number of episodes could be good for the program. Like I think I think purely for just just to just to still touch for a second on the companions thing. I think purely from an artistic point of view, if you're just looking at the show as you know uh, art to consume, uh, maybe I'd have loved to have a, a Yaz and Doctor series. That would have maybe been the best move. But I think if you're looking at at it as a product to sell, I think mm. the reality is that we haven't had a, a cast change since 2018 and yeah you're right that sustaining the public public's interest with the only cast change being a departure would be difficult yeah i'd like i'd still like a little bit more distance from the doctor from between her and her associates or friends i know we're not actually supposed to call them companions because somebody's going to some brand police are going to come and, and shoot us if we <laughs> um, but I'd, I'd really like I'd really like for her to be a little bit more distant a little bit more um, uh, aloof uh, that version of her which we got in the Via Villa Diodati episode mm, I think yeah. was spot on um, and you really felt in that episode that the stakes were high uh, and that people and there was a real element of jeopardy around it and so that's sort of knife edge kind of stuff I'd like to see more of yeah although I, I do find it quite um, disconcerting when Jodie behaves like that I don't oh know really it's a, I don't know whether it's a gender thing maybe it's my um, unconscious gender bias but more than more so than other doctors I feel actually aggravated and perturbed by her bad moods in a way that I don't by the bad moods of Peter Capaldi uh. and Matt Smith is it, do you think she's not She's. do you think this is a performance problem or do you think it's a? It's kind of inconsistent with her character I don't know that it's a problem I think it's just the way that I react physically to that behaviour I feel 
I feel more personally attacked by it. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. I feel like wow, like I wouldn't want to be around that person. Maybe, maybe because I don't, because Jody's doctor is more human, mm. and Matt and Peter's doctors. It felt like I don't know. You could distance yourself from it more, whereas with Jody's doctor, it really feels like a person could speak to you like that. Yes, and it feels unpleasant. Yes, and perhaps it feels because she's such a she's such a sort of warm and cuddly presence the rest of the time perhaps it's feels like being you know yeah it feels like more of a, a punch in the gut it's like yeah. wait what were you lying the rest of the time like what what is this now um yeah. whereas with a doctor like peter it's like well he's just constantly grumpy yeah but you you can appreciate that's what it is with peter he's constantly grumpy but you can appreciate that there's this incredible warmth under his performance yeah. Do you know what i mean this incredible kindness Whereas with Jodie, whenever she comes out a bit nasty, it's like it feels like it's a uh, a surface layer of warmth with a nastiness underneath. Yeah, yeah. I think um, th- Mrs. Spandrel... It's kind of flipped the, the mode, hasn't it? Yeah. Mrs. Spandrel kind of feels this whenever she watches an episode with her in it. She, is, she, she comes back and says, you know, she's not part of the team. She's not meant to be part of the team. She's mm. She's meant to be... She's meant to be the one who's calling the shots. And... Yeah. And I can see, I can see that frustration. I can understand that frustration about we we have we have a new female doctor, but we're not letting her um, have the position of of authority in the show that it, that um, that other male well, we doctors are, have. We had. are, but we're we're allowing we're we're forcing her to to seem dis, disingenuous and dishonest about it. Yeah, you know that scene in Villa Diodati where. Um, she says, "Oh, this is sometimes not a flat team structure. It's mountainous yeah. with me at the top." It's like, okay, well, if that's what you think, then why is this why the first time you're saying it makes yeah. the it makes the rest of her whole shtick feel dishonest? Yeah, oh, yeah, and that was the moment where you sort of where I really responded to that and go, "Yeah, that's kind of what I want from you as a character." But I get, yeah, I completely hear what you're saying. It's not consistently um, seeded throughout the show. Yeah, it's almost like she. It's like if I were her companion, I'd feel more respected if she said to me, no, I am your boss. Hmm. Yeah. Than if she kind of pretended that I was, that we were all happy families that uh, on the same level. And then yeah. it turns out, no, we're not. You know? Mm-hmm. It's it's nice to feel spoken to honestly sometimes. Yes. You feel more respected. I, rem- I, I don't know why I, this made me think of this, but I remember at university once, I did a really bad essay because I just couldn't be asked with it, <laughs> and I bumped into my the professor like in the corridor, and she was like, "You're going to want to come and collect your essay now." Um, it was so shit, <laughs> and I was like, "Okay," <laughs> and then we had a little conversation. We had like a uh, tutorial meeting about it, and she was like, "Okay, we're not even going to um, talk about the other essay because we know that we both know that you just didn't try and that you're capable of better." Um, we're, so we're going to talk about your plan for the next essay and it like it sounds really harsh me telling you that story now but like I felt so respected by her and I felt like she was she was talking to me as an equal because she'd been completely honest and it showed yeah. that it showed that she did believe in me you know that yeah. she thought that she felt able to say that to me yeah whereas Jodie's Doctor Who feels like the opposite of that kind of person yeah there's something in that there's something in that brutal candour which yeah 
which could be delivered in a way which doesn't make it feel like a slap in the face, which actually makes it feel true to the character. Sure. I mean, like that line in um, that line in Dark Water where uh, the Doctor says to Clara, you know, do you think I care for you so little that I don't mm. remember the line now, but that line. Yeah. Just, it's like, oh God, it's brutal, but it's also the kindest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, it's it's yes it's brutal but it's absolutely what the character would have said at that moment you know it has that yeah. tr- it has that truth to it and, and it would make you you know it would make you feel horrible in the moment but it would mm. make you feel long term you would treasure that you know mm. and cherish that and there's so many moments throughout my life I could look back and I can think gosh that was that made me want to cry but it's definitely what I needed mm. so I think um, you yeah. could sum up what I want from the next series you might be able to sum it up by saying well let's let's let her be the doctor right yeah god and, i forgot that was the question <laughs> <laughs> but i suppose the 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 counterpoint to that argument is well doctor who has got to change it's it's yeah, about yeah, change yeah. it's always changing and if this is the new version of doctor who where we've got more of an ensemble where it's less of that traditional um, one person holds all the power in this, and that's part of the changes that maybe Peter Harness is talking about about how you, how sure. you shift the. Yeah. Then maybe you have to be open to that. Maybe my saying, saying let her be the doctor, is actually hanging on to something which which is a bit mm. which is a bit um, unrealistic. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder. Like, obviously, I've been I've been quite down on the Chibnall era, and I do wonder. Like, is there anything it could have done? I mean, it could be better. Let's not, you know let's not be silly like it could be better but <clears throat> is there anything it could have done that really could have made me happy you know because yeah. I loved what came before so much could and I think done anything especially when someone like Stephen Moffat was so his work is inherently subversive and is inherently metatextual and you can't keep doing that but any retreat from that is gonna seem um you know, there's a sense that when you've done meta theatrics and you know meta textuality, hmm. you kind of can't go back then. Yeah. Once you've op- once you've broken that fourth wall and once you've done that stuff, you can't put all the toys back in the box. Yeah. And I think, I think but yeah. the only option was to put all the toys back in the box. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's right. I think he. Um, and there was initially, I think, something refreshing about that approach. Like I remember watching the the woman that fell to earth and thinking, gosh, it's just nice to hear people talking like ordinary people for a change. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you, you know one of the things which you, one of the ways in which Doctor Who criticism has changed and for the better, I think, is this is this uh, understanding that that a show is the show is a constant series of choices made by the creators so because I'm old and creaky and I remember how vociferously fandom reacted to the Colin Baker era and was really Mm. just slagging it um, you know rightly or wrongly I I do notice well I hope I notice something different about how we're responding to the Chibnall era where we go alright well that could be better as you put it or you know that isn't entirely to my taste but but still, I wonder about the series of choices which has got us to that point. Like, how does you, you take an episode that 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 I find very difficult to deal with, which is um, the Battle of Ranscore, um, 
of Kolos, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you think there's my a reaction to that to go, well, that's... Obviously, people always constantly mispronounce that episode's title. <laughs> and my favourite um, my favorite version of that comes from my friend Johnny from my last episode, which is Some Ranscores Do Have Them. Which Some I just, scores do have I just cannot deal with that. I think well, it's so good. That um, is yeah. that is awesome. It is now forever what that episode will be known <laughs> as. But you know, but that that all right, so I didn't think very much of it. But still, people have made a series of choices to get to that point, And they're not yeah, yeah. they're not unskilled, unexperienced people. They know their jobs. So what is it that mm. they're trying to do? And this is kind of what I was saying about my confusion about what the timeless children is about because you think these these things haven't happened by mistake somebody sat down and said we need to make an episode you know the best thing for doctor who at this stage is to make an episode like this you know that does these things it's all attempting to do something i think i've learned that there's no such thing as lazy writing Hmm. there's just writing that you know that's really trying and that sometimes doesn't land where people want it to or where everybody wants it to yeah. And this is, there's this a kind of weird why, lack of confidence to it yeah and this is why I think I find it very difficult to answer the original question which you asked about half an hour ago now which was what do you want out of the next series of Doctor Who well it's very yeah. difficult for me to pinpoint exactly what's going on in Doctor Who at the moment there's some bits I really really like and there's other bits that I don't respond to at all And mm. but I couldn't tell you I, could, I can't put a, a general theme on it to say you know these bits make it more like these bits yeah, I think that's true. That's true. It doesn't feel like it's two versions of the show fighting against each other or anything. It just feels like, oh yeah, there's a pick and mix of stuff I like, but it doesn't really make a whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Uh, we've not really answered the question, but <laughs> no. um, I think we did <laughs> no. it. We did in a sort of roundabout way. You mentioned you're appearing on another podcast. Um, coming up soon. Oh, I'm on. Um, I'm I'm on an episode of Jody into Terror, which is talking about Revolution of the Daleks, and um, uh, and I that's s- the flight through entirety. That's the flight through entirety right? mob, and they they do a flashcast about uh, about the Jody Whittaker episodes, and um, great. And anyone who hasn't dived into those guys' um, podcasts, they really should. It's it's really terrific stuff. You know, my my dad absolutely loves them. He oh. listens to those religiously. Marshy Senior, where is he? Where is he? He's only made one appearance on the podcast. We need him back. Yeah, he did so very reluctantly, so I think it would be hard to hard to convince <laughs> him again. Oh, well, the campaign starts here. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for talking to me. People can listen to that Jodie and Terror episode. I'll put that in the description. I'll also put for good measure uh, your blog that you have obviously finished now, but I'm sure there are people who still haven't discovered it. Yeah, please um, do. Randomhooners.com. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Oh, find me at Johnny Spandrel. Great. And you can find me on Twitter at Molly underscore Martian. You can find the podcast on Twitter at GalacticYoYoPod. And you can find uh, you can email me at GalacticYoYoPod at gmail.com. Uh, but until next time, when I'll be talking about Revolution of the Daleks with um, Joy Piedmont, um, that's coming next week. Um, but in the meantime, bye-bye, everybody. See you later.